All right, we are continuing today in our series that we started last week in the book of Daniel. We're calling this Faith in the Real World. As we grapple with what does it mean to have faith that matters on a day-to-day basis, that really impacts our lives and affects the way we live from day to day. Last week we were in chapter 1 as we uh, were introduced to this young Hebrew uh, named Daniel and his, and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, probably in their mid mid to upper teens. And uh, they had been transported as exiles. Um, no problem. No problem. As exiles and uh, from from Judah or Jerusalem. In fact, um, Johnny, let's go to that next slide. We've got a picture here. So this is in, uh, you know, about 2,600 years ago. And uh, the... The king of Babylon, or the empire of Babylon, had conquered uh, Judah and in the process ended up completely destroying Jerusalem, the temple, everything, to absolute destruction, and uh, dispersed people, including taking a bunch of them to Babylon as exiles, kind of the brightest and best, uh, kind of select folks, nobles, and, and people like that. Well, we were introduced to some young men that were part of that group that were removed, and we talked about... The win-win, like how do you win in a conflict situation where you, you, you know, you, you've got bar- you've got a boundary that you, you're not willing to cross, but you also don't want to destroy or shame other people in the process. So we, we talked about that last week. And uh, today we're going to talk about how to keep calm and give God the credit. See, while these boys were there in Babylon, um, because they were good looking and they had strong aptitude for learning, it says, they were selected for King Nebuchadnezzar's Civil Service Training Academy. It was a three-year program. And these guys were pushed to compromise their faith in, in various ways. And they took a stand uh, for their convictions. And they held to boundaries that they would not and could not cross. And God blessed them with great success in the program. So they were faithful to God and they found that God was faithful to them. Now, um, I wanted the story to be this. And because they were faithful to God, the king had mercy on them and released them to go back home to their families where they lived happily ever ever. That's what I would like the story to be. That's, that's what you hope for, right? It's like the student who admits that they, that they, that they cheated on the test and the teacher says, well, because you were honest, I'll give you an A. I mean, that's what you kind of hope will happen, right? But that's not what happened. Instead, they were employed by this impulsive and violent pagan king. And they did not have the option to resign and look for employment elsewhere. Right? Now, thankfully, none of us are in those exact shoes. And particularly the the episode we're going to read today. But you have faced, or you will face, or you are facing some kind of crisis or challenge in your life. And the actions of Daniel create for us an excellent template or excellent model to follow how to respond in crisis. Now, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2. It's in the Old Testament. And so to find it, if you have a Bible with you, if you're using one of our church Bibles, if you have your own Bible, if your Bible were to fall open in the middle, you'd be in the book of Psalms. And you just go to the right through Proverbs and then some kind of big prophetic sounding names like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And right after that, you're going to get to a guy named Daniel. I'm going to invite you to remain seated today because we're going to try to burn through 49 verses in this chapter. I won't read every verse, but I want you to kind of get a sense of what's happening through this passage. So Daniel 
chapter 2. And if you're in the Red Church Bible, I think it's page 725. So it goes like this. It says, one night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, and demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I've had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered in Aramaic, long live the king, tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. Now, just so you know, in this book, we have a construct that's setting up here between uh, the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh, and and, and the false gods that are represented by these astrologers and magicians and sorcerers and so on. And you're going to see this kind of conflict repeated a few times that God and his people continue to triumph while the others continue to be defeated because they are not um, true. All right, so here's what happens. Verse 5, the king said to the... Uh, Long live the king. Tell us the dream. We will tell you what it means. Verse 5, the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you'll be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I'll give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. In case you haven't figured this out yet, Nebuchadnezzar is a madman. He's insane. I mean, he's crazy. He actually goes insane later in the book, but he is... And when he says limb from limb, one, one commentator says it works like this. They would take four trees. You don't need this, but this is for the junior high boys in the room. You, you, they would take four trees and tie the tops of them together. And then you're tied by your four limbs to the four trees. And then they cut the ropes and the trees spring back. That's how you get torn limb from limb. So that's what happens. So just tell me what I dreamed. And that won't happen to you. Anybody want to tell me what I dreamed last night? See, you can't do it. All right. So this, this is the situation. This goes back and forth between these guys. Tell us the dream. No, you guys are faking it. You, you guys, I'm serious. Tell me the dream and then tell me the interpretation. And they, it's desperate. And then finally at verse 11, it says, the king's demand is impossible. The astrologers say, no one except the gods can tell you your dream and they do not live here among people. Now that alone is a little foreshadowing to the gospel, the good news message of Jesus Christ, that the day will come when God will send Jesus Christ, his son, the son of God, God himself, to be among us. That's a little foreshadowing there. So there's like, in the verse 12, the king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. Nothing like... Guilty by association, right? You're lumped in with these other guys. So the messenger, his name's Arioch, he goes to Daniel and says, Hey, I, sorry, but I got to kill you. It, is really how it goes. Daniel's like, wait, time out. What's going on? Let me go talk to the king. Daniel goes and talks to the king and finds a story, uh, what's really happening. And then verse 17 says this. Verse 17, Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Um, you might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, what had happened, and he, hurt, he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secrets so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. And that night, that night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, 
Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength, and you have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. So now Daniel goes back to the messenger. He says, hey, I've got the answer. Let me go talk to the king. And so that he, he does, he goes in and, and says, you know, to the king, the king says, wow, can you, verse 26, can you tell me what my dream means? And tell me the dream and what it means. Verse 27, Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But, but, now this is that contrast, right? That conflict. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions as you saw them lying on your bed. And then he goes and tells him the dream. Now we're not really going to get into the actual dream and what the dream, uh, what the full interpretation is uh, just because of time today. But the, the, the dream is a revelation of what's going to come in the future and various kingdoms that are going to come. And he foresees the He's in the Babylonian kingdom, foresees the Medo-Persian kingdom and the Greek uh, kingdom and then the Roman Empire and, and the destruction of all that. So that's what. And then finally, the coming of the kingdom of God. Again, a foreshadowing of Jesus that God will set up a permanent kingdom and the king is Jesus. So that's all foreshadowed in this dream 2,600 years ago. Let me take you all the way down to verse 46 near the end of the chapter. King Nebuchadnezzar getting the revelation, threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. And the king said to Daniel, Truly, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal the secret. The king, the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. Wow. What an episode. What a victory. But what stress. Oh my goodness. Right? I don't know if you've ever met with an impossible problem. That was an impossible problem. You've obviously not been quite in the same situation that Daniel was, but, but you may have been some in a scenario where it was like an obstacle you just couldn't get past. Maybe it was a task at work, or maybe it was a, a relationship breakdown, or a health diagnosis, or, or a school semester, or a mountain of debt and bills, and you just thought, I, 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 can't, I can't do this. There's, there's no way I can get through this. I have no solution for this. Now, you've either been there or you will be one day. And sometimes it's even just in the small details. Just just a week that you face, you're like, I've got so many deadlines this week. I have such a workload this week. I can't. How am I going to do this? And I, in those moments, and if it's particularly when it's bigger too, you, you, you need to know some coping strategies in crisis. So I want to talk about, about uh, three coping strategies out of, out of Daniel's experience here. Um, when facing a crisis. And the first I would say is this. Don't immediately surrender to impossible problems. Do not immediately surrender 
to impossible problems. King Nebuchadnezzar's request was outrageous. Hey, you so-called wise guys, you're going to tell me what my dream means. But first, tell me what I dreamed. If not, I'll tear you apart. It's an impossible problem, right? Maybe you're in a conflict situation with a friend at work or a family member and you just have not been able to make peace. You can't seem to get resolution on this thing. You're tempted just to walk away. You're going to throw away the relationship and say, fine, we're just never going to talk again. Daniel would say, don't surrender to impossible problems. Because verses 14 to 16, uh, we may not have actually read those exact verses, but they hold the secret to the start of Daniel's success. Verse 14 says, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? And so Arioch told him all that had happened. And he went at once to see the king and requested more time. By using wisdom and discretion, Daniel was able to kind of clarify the facts. Okay, time out here. What's actually going on? What is the king actually after? Why are we in this scenario? So both with both Arioch and the king. And, you know, I know personally, I sometimes, you know, heard something and I've been too quick to jump to a conclusion or make an assumption that what so-and-so said about such and such is true. And so, you know, you hear it kind of round the... You, you know, you're like, oh man, so then I kind of jump to trying to fix the problem and get it all sorted out or like giving up before even trying because I didn't take time to clarify the facts. And uh, maybe you've heard secondhand or thirdhand about the person with whom you've got that conflict and, and you just, man, you're just kind of stuck on this thing. And well, how do you know that's actually true? Like, is what they said really what they said? Take time to clarify the facts, get the truth with wisdom and with discretion, with sensitivity. Don't be a bully about it. Don't believe all the bad news that you hear. Uh, because God may be able to help you with this. Uh, I don't know, how many of you have ever tried to solve a Rubik's Cube? All right. Leave your hand up if you have solved a Rubik's Cube. All right. Yeah, I don't mean like peeling the stickers off and replacing those. I learned this week that supposedly you should be able to do it in 20, 20 moves. Well, um, to those of us who have never successfully solved a Rubik's Cube, that which seemed like an impossible problem, I just showed you it is, it is solvable. It's a solvable puzzle. And maybe you need some help, someone like John over here who... Knows all about that, right? It's a solvable puzzle. And this is all about leaning, leaning into faith. It's the keep calm of the title that we're talking about today. Your situation might feel like a massive Rubik's Cube. You just cannot solve it. You cannot fix this. You can't find your way through it. But God's puzzle-solving power is unlimited. And He knows what He's doing. And when you... With faith in God. Um, trust Him. You, you don't need to surrender immediately to impossible problems. But it does not mean you need to face those problems alone. I want you to see what happens there in verses 17 and 18. 
uh, Daniel went home and told his friends. Here we've got it on the screen. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. And he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. So Daniel clarified the details of the problem. Did not just throw up his hands in despair and give up. But he did act. And his action was to get his friends to pray. When you're facing an impossible problem, you need to enlist a prayer force. Enlist a prayer force. Daniel, thankfully, had a small group that he could turn to. His three buddies. And uh, I'll just share a little personal story. Uh, about two and a half weeks ago, my wife's uh, mom had a, a domestic accident at the house. And so she's been in the hospital for still. She's been there. And so, you know, my wife's trying to figure out, you know, when should she go and how, how best to help. And she's supposed to be discharged yesterday from the hospital. wasn't. And so Becky drove up there this week. And, uh, you know, I have on my, in my phone, my, my connection group, my small group friends, and I sent just a note saying, hey, Becky's driving to Washington today would you, by herself. Would you guys mind praying for her? Like praying, hey, we're with you. Let us know how it goes. And, you know, someone else said, hey, my, you know, I have a family member that's fighting fires. Can you keep him in prayer? So yeah, we're, we like have this, we enlist a prayer force when we've got these life situations. And it's just awesome. People who already know our situation don't have to do a lot of explaining, don't need a lot of details. It's really, really meaningful. And, uh, you know, they'll be praying for us more as we try to figure out how to, how to, you know, we kind of have a bit of a new reality in our, in our world and, and trying to sort that out. It, it's easier, you know, funny how this is. It's easier to ask for a prayer for others. You know, a friend's been diagnosed with cancer or you, you know, some situation, the financial situation. It's easier to do that than to ask for our own concerns, isn't it? Especially if the if the situation is really personal, right? Or it's kind of embarrassing. Um, you know, it might be something like a family member, a, you know, say a grandson who's struggling with addiction or, or, or a daughter who's battling depression or, or you're kind of gripped by anxiety or, or, or you're falling apart in your marriage. Well, we, we want those things to stay private. But we'll ask prayer requests for the kind of the easier ones. I really need to find a new car. You know? And I, I would just say, in those impossible situations, humanly speaking, we need divine intervention with the help of a prayer force. But in spite of the kind of personal nature of some of those requests, we've got to be able to ask for help. Several years ago, about almost 10 years ago, I uh, performed a, a wedding for... Um, just a sweet young couple, and it's great, you know, and we kind of went our separate ways. They live a little bit further away, and we're in separate churches and kind of lost touch. And then maybe three, four years, no, three, three, let's say three or four years into the marriage, I get a phone call from, from his boss saying, hey, I know you did their wedding, and uh, they're really off in a bad way. Could you meet with them? I, absolutely. So I met with this couple, and, and sure enough, they were ready to be done. I mean, they were ready to sign papers. It was devastating. It was just so hard. And uh, there were no kids yet. And so they could kind of justify, you know, just be a clean break and that'll be over. And, you know, we just talked a little bit through some of the issues. I prayed for them. We got some other people to be praying for them. And that was kind of the end of it. Six months later, I get a note from them. Hey, just wanted you to know we're doing great. She's pregnant with twins. (laughs) You know, it's just one of those moments like people prayed. 
People got involved. People invited God to get involved. And it made a difference. A lifetime, a legacy of difference. So you, you need to know that God is generous and he's loving. But it seems to me that God often waits to be asked before getting involved, before intervening into situations. So get some friends to, to pray for God's intervention. And it can be tricky. I know that. Someone says, well, hey, would you pray for my daughter? You know, she's, you know, or pray for me. I'm, you know, struggling with an addiction or whatever. Well, how do you do that? Do you pray just once? Do you pray daily? Like, what happens if you forget to pray? Is this an ongoing thing? Like, how, how do we handle this? I'd suggest to, a really great way to enlist a prayer force is to select, let's say you've got a particular situation and you enlist, say, five people or three people and you say, hey, would you five people pray for the next five days uh, for this, for my daughter in this situation to pray that she comes back to Jesus? And then we'll report after that. Give it a time frame. Give it a measurable stretch so that people feel like, okay, I can commit to three days or five days or seven days or whatever that is and, and be you know, open and honest with that follow-up. That's a really kind of a good way to do that. And a lot some, you know, can share some good stories about that. But um, we also have a, a small group here that's called uh, Prayer for Prodigals. They meet usually on the third Sunday of the month. Watch your bulletin for announcements about that. But where they get to pray for family members who are, who have, who are not walking with Jesus, who are not walking in the faith and we're praying for them that they'll come back to the Lord. You might want to be a part of that. But it all means you're going to have to be humble enough to admit your need. To admit that you have a situation. And, and I don't know if you realize this, but followers of Jesus still struggle with sin, with temptation. They struggle with, you know, we have issues of anger and addiction and bad language and sexual immorality. All those things happen even to people who said, I'm following Jesus now. And some of those things for you, that might be the exact problem that you're up against one of those areas in your life and i wonder if you're willing to humble yourself and ask for prayer i don't know if you realize this but every sunday we have some people on the side of our while we're singing together there's a group of people who are off to the side they'd love to pray with you bring your concerns and uh, don't just don't worry about being judged or how people are going to think about you oh brian's over there he must be his marriage must be in trouble well if it was then you should be praying too not judging me for it one Okay, so let's be clear about that. Secondly, maybe it is, but maybe it's something else. Maybe I'm praying for you. (laughs) You don't know. Take advantage of that opportunity. We love to to help you with that. Now, thankfully, that very night, God came through for Daniel and revealed the dream and its interpretation. Verse 19 says this. We got that on screen. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel. In the vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Verses 20 and 23, we read that before, records Daniel's praise and his, his thanks to God. God gets the credit for this situation. Now I want to show you a slide. You all know what this is. You've seen this at the end of any movie you've watched. It's the end credits, right? The beginning of the movie, the big star's names go up, the producer, the director, etc. But if you gotta wait to the end of the movie for like, you know, the writers and the caterers and the, the, the cameraman, the grips and the gaffers and the hair and makeup people and who knows what else goes at the end. You can just imagine if like you were on this film crew and you tell your friends, wait, watch to right to the end of the movie. I'm right at the kind of the end of the credits in like really small letters. It'll be going pretty fast. Just really pay attention and you'll see my name, right? I'd hate to be that person. 
Well, I wouldn't actually mind it that much. It'd be all right. It's, it's, it's there, right? It's exciting. But it goes at the end. But notice where God puts, where Daniel puts the credit for God. It's right at the top. It's beginning. We want to say it this way. Credit God early and often when you're facing a crisis. Credit God early and often because as soon as he got the revelation, he didn't even know how the king would react. He didn't even know it's truly a dream and interpretation. I mean, would the king really say, yeah, that's it. Or would the king say, no, missed it. You're out of here. So right away, he's giving God the praise. Verse 23, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You've told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. It's amazing. Daniel, he actually kind of seems, don't you get the sense he's like excited? He's like giddy. He's like, oh, I can hardly wait to go back and talk to that crazy King Nebuchadnezzar. I got to tell him what I've got. I've got it. I've got that figured it out. It's just like God gave me the vision. I, I, I know it. He's just bursting, right? It happens when you give God the credit early and often. You've prayed about that situation at work with that impossible boss who makes your life hell. And, and you just say, you've prayed. You say, God, you know, I know you're going to come through. I know you've got this. I, I know you're taking care of me. Thanks for hearing me out. Give God credit early and often. Or you've asked your friends to pray about your bumpy or maybe even hopeless season in your marriage. And, and, and God's beginning to give you some peace about it. And so you can say, God, I know you've heard me. I know you've got this under control. You're, you're listening to me. You're going to be with me no matter what happens, whatever the outcome is. I can trust you. Or, or you've been lifting up that nephew or, or daughter or grandson or family member in prayer and you say, God, I know you love them more than I do. Lord, I, I know you've heard me and I know that you're going to bring them back to yourself in your time and in your way. I'm going to trust you. Give credit to God early and often. Because when you do that, you build your own faith in God. You remind yourself that God is trustworthy. And some of you are saying, well, I've been praying about this situation. Or I've prayed about that. Or I asked God to hear me on this. And I, I don't hear nothing. God doesn't seem to answer my prayers. Continue to give God the credit early and often. Continue to listen. Continue to enlist others. And watch and wait. His timing is perfect. Because when you get to that place where you can say, you know what? I've prayed about this enough that this is God's problem now, not mine. That's a good place. Because not only did Daniel praise God right there before seeing the king, but then he gave God the credit in his conversation with Nebuchadnezzar. Look at this. We got this on screen. Verse 27 says this. Daniel replied to the king, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. There is a God who reveals secrets. What's Daniel doing? He's giving God the credit in front of the most, at that time, most powerful man in the world. So even in your situation, you can say to your boss, to your friend, to your spouse, to your classmate, or whatever this, wherever that place is, hey, this situation, you know, maybe your boss says, hey, that was really great how you, you got that figured out or you completed that project or, hey, I love, really love the way you handled, you know, that customer or that patient or whatever. You can say, you know, this one was really hard to figure out. But I, I pray to a God who listens. And he helped me. You could do that. It's not offensive. You're not preaching. You're just saying, this was my experience. I prayed and God helped me. I really feel like, I know this sounds crazy, but I actually prayed and 
and, and I believe God helped me with that idea. That would be giving God the credit. You know, he'd be honored in that. Do you see how that works? Ah, oh, man, you've got this student in class who's just impossible. Nobody wants a student. And, and, and you're just praying about it and you're bringing it to us and you're bringing it to your small group. Man, I've got this, this student who's just, just really challenging. And obviously you begin to make some breakthroughs. And what happens? You can say to that, your coworkers, you know, little Susie's doing way better right now. And I, I know this may sound crazy, but like, I, I have this small group, church connection group, we call it. And I, I asked them, I didn't use any names. I just asked them to pray and man, it's going bad. I think God answered my prayer. You could do that. That's doable, right? What impossible situation are you facing? Don't, don't immediately surrender. Enlist a prayer force. Credit God. Praise Him in your prayer. Praise Him in your conversations with others. Praise Him in your worship. And watch what He'll do. Let's pause. Let's pause to pray. God, I thank You that You are so completely aware of everything that we're dealing with, everything that we face. And Lord, I confess that sometimes I, I, I just wish it was clearer, easier, more obvious what your answers are. But God, I think you really want us to lean into you. I think you want us to lean into faith and trust you no matter what. God, I thank you for this episode and this example of Daniel who, when faced with certain death, did not panic, didn't run and creative protest of some kind, but just got the details and then turned to you in prayer. Lord, can we be those people calm and measured and, and trusting you? Jesus, I thank you that you are the one who reveals secrets. And Jesus, you are the son of God who walked this earth. And you are the one in whom we can put all our trust for forgiveness and for new life. I give you, I give you praise for that. Lord, I pray that it becomes increasingly real day by day. Lord, help us to trust you more and more. I thank you for your, your word. Thank you for preserving these things for us, for speaking to us today. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your immense love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.